talk about this plan of yours. I think it's good, except it sucks. So let me do the plan, and that way it might be really good. Wow. There's a man going around taking names, and he decides who to free and who to blame. Everybody won't be treated all the same. There'll be a golden ladder reaching down when the man comes around. Hello, and welcome to It's Good Except It Sucks, a movie by movie and television series by television series hurtled through the Marvel Cinematic Universe. This time, we're stepping outside the Marvel Cinematic Universe and into the multiverse for a look at Logan, part of 20th Century Fox's series of X-Men films, originally released in March 2017. Technically, this places it somewhere between Cloak and Dagger preventing Rocks and Oil from releasing Dark Energy over New Orleans, and Leo Fitz and Gemma Simmons meeting Fugitive Shield agent Daisy Johnson under the cover of an apartment viewing, and, you guessed it, there's absolutely no crossover with either of them. I'm Tim Worthington, and we'll be finding out what I thought of Logan shortly. Shortly. Meanwhile, joining me to give his thoughts on Logan is journalist Mick Wright. Mick, where can people find you? At Broken Bottle Boy on Twitter, and then you'll find all the places I am via there. The multiverse of Mick. Okay, so before we go any further, Mick, what happens in Logan? It's 2029, and there have been no mutants born for 25 years, and uh, aging Logan, Wolverine, is now suffering as his healing ability, the healing factor that previously made him, you know, largely invulnerable, is starting to fail. He's working as a limo driver under his real name james howler and he and the mutant tracker caliban are caring for the aging charles xavier who's 90 and is starting to have some serious issues with his powers going out of control it's alluded to but not directly said that he he's had a seizure at some point in the year prior which injured hundreds of people and killed several others including various x-men and he is hired to do a job where he is to escort a nurse and a young girl called laura to a refuge across the border in canada for mutants as the film goes on, we discover that Laura is essentially a product of the same X project as Logan himself and basically a child version of Wolverine created from his DNA. We're never really totally sure whether she would be his biological daughter or, or a direct female clone of him. The bad guys of this are the Reavers who are trying to hunt down Laura and return her to the Weapon X facility. It pretty much ends, well it does end with Logan dying and it's pretty brave really because you've got film where they are actually willing to show Professor X in his declining years and to show Wolverine dying at the end. Okay, well, I'm expecting we'll get a pretty comprehensive answer to this one. So, Mick, what did you know about Wolverine before you saw Logan? A lot. see my entry into knowing about Wolverine comes from the 90s X-Men TV series which has one of the best theme tunes of any TV comic book series I think it's an incredible theme tune and Wolverine you know plays a fairly big part in that and then through that I read a lot of comics of course this film is based on the old man Logan run of comics which is a fantastic idea I love this because it's really interesting because what happens often Wolverine in films is almost used as like this character that can kind of fix a broken plot because he can you know you can pretty much throw 
throw virtually anything at him. And it was interesting to see the psychology of Wolverine as this grumpy character, this kind of, you know, always having to be forced to be part of the family, but eventually being so, you know, he's the kind of the grumpy uncle at the wedding always when he's with the X-Men. But with this, you know, this notion of him having almost taken on this father-like role, a more father-like role is very interesting. So lot, basically. But I always love Wolverine just purely because the adamantium claws is just a badass thing right just visually it's very cool like he's funny in the comics you know he's a fascinating character as well and also then this thing of being a character who's had this sort of forced upon him also the fact that at various points in comics often they put him at various points in history he's just a fascinating character i think there's so much you can do with him but i think this is arguably one of if not the best use of the character in any medium well my own background with wolverine brings me around to why i like this so much as a film which is that i discovered the x-men through mighty world of marvel in the 80s, the UK Marvel compilation comic where they ran the rebooted X-Men from the late 70s, early 80s as the main strip in it for a while. And at first I thought he was fantastic. Him and Kitty Pride, I absolutely loved. I remember being really excited when they ran like a kind of personnel file on the characters from the strips, like one per issue. And the issue when it was Wolverine it was really exciting because you know, at that point there were bits of his history that hadn't been filled in. I think it referred to him just being found in a forest you know, with the adamantium all ready coating his claws and it just hinted at great mystery but as time went on I remember you know really liking when things like in the first secret wars when they're all kind of grouping at the start and somebody suggests Captain America should lead them and Wolverine says wait a minute he's the least of us he can't do anything I won't follow him which you know was a great note of kind of conflict to throw in just in that initial stage you know even conflict within the good guys but I got a bit bored of the X-Men quite quickly and that's one of the reasons why before this came out I hadn't actually read Old Man Logan I've read Old Man Hawkeye which I think the Hawkeye TV series is a bit based on but I think Jeremy Renner will still have his backwards baseball cap on and be saying hi kids I'm up next but this I was really blown away by I've not really been that excited by the X-Men films in general some are better than others but this isn't like them at all it's more like something like No Country for Old Men I think I mean apparently they were influenced by films like The Wrestler and Unforgiven and Little Miss Sunshine rather than superhero films per se I think that really comes across. It's like a very bleak. Well, it is literally a travelogue. And although, you know, superpowers do drive things, like, you know, Charles losing control of the ability to limit his powers and so on, it's not actually a film about superpowers. It's about these characters. Absolutely. The thing is, as well, it's like, you think about Wolverine, in a sense, as a kind of metaphor for American misuse of power, like from Vietnam onwards, or the deranged relationship between what Eisenhower called the military industrial complex and wider society right because he's kind of that but what's fascinating about this is i think you're right it's, this is the one of any marvel film i think mcu or non-mcu film where you can go this is the most purely film like of any film that features a marvel property it is a singular unit right you don't actually need to know anything about the x-men to watch and appreciate logan you could come to it cold and go oh, okay i get this notion right obviously there's lots of illusions and stuff that are great if you know a lot about the characters but otherwise you could come to it cold and go all right this guy has this is happening to him and the 
themes and the way it works it's almost as well like you could compare it to something like any of the man with no name type westerns you know like this guy who moves from place to place having to solve problems with this uncomfortable relationship with his own power over life and death i mean it's no surprise i think that it was nominated for a best adapted screenplay oscar because it's really good you know the script is so good and so solid yet even in the smaller characters or characters they encounter like you know at one point they go and spend time with this family this farmer's family all the characters feel very realized and real to me you know and the emotional beats and choices in it feel real it's not like you can sometimes feel with some of the mole films and i pretty much love them all but it doesn't conclude in a kind of giant space laser or big baddie battle it's about can we get across this child who we're trying to get to canada can they get across the border can logan make that happen and what sacrifice is he willing to make for that to happen well that's interesting because that really brings me around to another film this reminded me of which is the relationship between the two of them between logan and laura who i think was she x23 in the comics i always get that confused with x20 from stingray which is not really a similar character x24 is the direct clone of logan in his prime who does feature in this film which is like a nice bit of just you know filming thing to see a young hugh jackman fighting the kind of old hugh jackman but it really reminded me of the early 90s film leon which is completely forgotten about now but which is a huge thing i when love I was a leon. Student. leon is incredible you couldn't move for posters of it when i was like 19 or whatever and it's very much their relationship it's as well built as the one in that and daphne Keane, i think that's how it's pronounced it's spelt a very strange way is especially good and apparently they were planning a laura film but obviously the disney purchase of fox happened and that never happened and i do hope they pick up on that at some point yeah it would be good be interesting to see what they do with wolverine when x-men become part of the marvel universe she's a phenomenal actress in this i'm not sure she had been in a tv series prior to that she debuted in a tv series but it was her first film role and she's she's incredible she of course then went on to be the main character in his dark materials well also good usually i'm not normally that big on him but Stephen merchant is really good as caliban because he gives him a real gravitas by not playing him as tragic he's kind of like a, a decaying Crichton almost you know he's, he's there to do what he's there to do and it's a bit like enoch in agents of shield he takes the bad things that happen to him just as they come without any kind of overall aspect to it it's, it's just got some great pathos yeah it's really got some pathos and i think you're right he just gets the tone very right the problem often with actors and tragic characters is tragic characters shouldn't know their tragic characters in the same way that bad guys don't think they're bad guys and it's always better when a bad guy thinks you know in the thanos mold that what they're doing is the right thing even if they're doing it in the wrong way and i think that's what's great about Calaman is he doesn't see himself as tragic he just sees he just sort of goes okay well this is my this is what life is like
And it's also interesting that, you know, like I say, it's a complete break with most of what had come before in the X-Men movie franchise. And they actually kind of reference that in the scene where Laura's reading some X-Men comics, kind of, you know, based on the idea that the previous ones have become public cultural property. And Logan dismissively says, that's not how it happened, which is a great moment. But it seemed as though this was pushing towards a new direction going forward, because it's almost a direct setup for the new mutants, which that's a whole bizarre story that it was originally slated to come out a couple of months after this and then they pulled it to do reshoots that never happened and then they're going to do a new edit that never happened eventually just sneaked out when cinemas reopened during the pandemic very briefly I think they were just trying to get rid of it well it was just kicked out as a clearing of the decks after the Fox purchase yeah but apparently since it's turned up on Disney Plus people are a bit more appreciative of it so I might have to watch it again to see if it is any good but that's interesting that you know almost the title of this reflects the way that they were kind of stripping it down and taking it in the new because you know before this there had been Wolverine and the Wolverine and then there's Logan you know so what would the next one have been if you know they had done one set in his past or something would it be called James Howlett or him with the claws or something like that I can't <laughs> see where else they could go further but it did seem Angry as baby. though it was, it was like a soft reboot in one direction whereas Deadpool was taking it in another yeah I think that's a fair assessment but also I kind of see this as an apology for X-Men Origins Wolverine. It's all like... <laughs> and of course the Wolverine had been there in between, but I think I've read interviews with Hugh Jackman who said he was willing to come back to do this because the script was that good and it felt like, okay, this is a good one for me to finish the character on because it's actually giving the character the due it requires. And I think also the issue with some of the other X-Men films is that they're going for that get as many people to watch this as possible certification. Whereas this is, you know, this is a hard like what would they call what would they say a hard r isn't it it's a unquestionably adult film and like there are prisons that laura just absolutely carves through bad guys you know like the violence in it is extreme and it's particularly extreme when it's a you know very young girl doing that violence and it doesn't pull its punches on that so i wonder yeah in theory so it's kind of a soft reboot but actually it and deadpool have something in common which is that willingness to make a film for adults that says okay it's superheroes but or you know superhero universe but it's a film for adults and the violence is hard violence with consequences of course Deadpool undercuts that with Deadpool's humour but this doesn't do that at all you know there's bits of humour in there but it's dark because it's just relentlessly dark and I love it for that because it, it chooses a tone sticks with it and doesn't try to play to every single audience well that does pose an interesting thought about the idea of them bringing which is going to happen in some form the X-Men into the MCU although Kevin Feige has pointedly referred to what they're doing as mutants rather than X-Men which is interesting in itself because you know maybe people have seen enough of the origin stories and the characters in that format but the main question people are going around saying is how are they going to do the X-Men as non-R-rated Deadpool Blade and so on what are they going to do I recently thought on rewatching Black Widow there's a scene in that which shows that you can do these things with a family friendly certificate because one of the widows punches her own face off when she's like mm. made to but you see it from high above with Natasha and Yelena kneeling over it and then you see her sort of in profile I don't know if you could say that when she's lying on the ground with her face missing but they don't actually show it in a way that would require an adults only certificate so I think it is possible it's doable I don't, think to it's do do- it. I don't think it's doable with Deadpool Deadpool ceases to be Deadpool if you sanitise him how the X-Men come in I think he's also playing it cute there like he will do the X-Men will appear as a group and clearly the multiverse is a way to do that you bring them in through the multiverse perhaps bring them in from 
from it. Like, I feel like that's what's going to happen with Fantastic Four. Some kind of multiverse crossover where they end up, they are a pre-existing group that end up in this universe somehow. Or maybe that's what happens with X-Men. There's some way, like you say, to avoid the old existing origins thing. You've got to think from a tactical point of view, why are they going so hard on the multiverse? And it has to have some advantage with starting to fold in some of these characters, I think. And maybe something like What If is interesting about that because, you know, they're kind of going for a multiverse Avengers set up there as well. So maybe that has some bearing on it. Perhaps I'm overthinking it, but I think, you know, the bringing in a spider. Is it like Lieutenant's General? Is it Spider-Men's <laughs> into the forthcoming Spider-Man film? But to have the Tobey Maguire and the Andrew Garfield Spider-Man coming into that film, that feels to me like this has got to be something like, is that the way you fold in the X-Men? You know, not that directly there, but that's the kind of thing that starts to fold these things. Yeah, that's kind of the line of thinking I've been going along. I mean, I am fully expecting, given that they've cast Blade and there's still no announcement of a Blade film, that he's going to show up in the next Doctor Strange film, given it's been described as a horror film. You know, he will tumble out of the multiverse somewhere and say, oh, I was fighting them. But yeah, I think that's probably, you're probably right, that probably is how the X-Men will come in. How they go about casting them will be interesting, though, because some of them, I think, need to be recast. Others are sort of indivisible from the actors who played them in the Fox franchise. In a way, you could say that, right? And certainly you look at Hugh Jackman and you think Hugh Jackman is Wolverine. But Hugh Jackman's too old to be Wolverine now in the sense that he's kind of too old for this shit. That's where he's reached it at this point, I think. That argument is a little bit like, you know, crossing the stream slightly and thinking about DC. It's a little bit like saying, which I, it's an argument I have some feeling for. For me, it's very hard to see anyone but Christopher Reeve be Superman because I think he embodied the character so brilliantly. But subsequently there have been some decent performances of Superman and I think the same has to be the case for Wolverine I mean you've already got issues within the Marvel Universe of course of like Black Panther is now you know T'Challa is gone because in the real world Chadwick Boseman realised that part so well that they cannot and they can't replace him so the T'Challa Black Panther is gone but I'm not sure about Wolverine I think with Wolverine they're gonna have to fess up and find someone who can do that character I mean look they've replaced the Hulk didn't they so you know and it always gets forgotten Rhodey as well that was about which frankly obviously it was actually about money but it turned out to be quite good because I think Don Chilla's a superior roadie if I'm honest both of those are true but I never like to talk about them too loudly for fear that legitimises people's idea that the Netflix character should be recast and I am a staunch opponent of that idea the Netflix character should not be recast but then they haven't had as long in those roles and they do exist within the same overarching universe whereas with Wolverine you've got to say maybe you could have a thing I could put it past them to do some kind of something with Hugh Jackman but I don't think it's got the longevity for them just think about it from a, a kind of pure commercial nakedly commercial perspective if you're going to bring the X-Men in you want those actors in for a good number of films right and I can't see Hugh Jackman wanting to sign on for you know five more films as, as Wolverine well you say that but this in itself they tried to give it a life beyond its theatrical release in that are you aware of Logan Noir yes yeah well it's yes. just the exact same film regraded into the black and white now, part of me thinks it reminds me of George A. Romero's Martin, which is a long-lost fable black-and-white cut-off, where it was actually recut for black-and-white, and that's now missing. But this is exactly the same, and I don't quite see the appeal of it. I mean, there's actually review sites would say, oh, it's better than the theatrical version. I don't quite buy that. But there was a bit of a trend at that time for doing that kind of thing. I'm blanking on what other films, but there was at least a couple of other films that they did similar things with that and then I think there was 
a Sin City one where they slightly changed it and I think there was a few others where they did little things that's also a commercial vibe isn't it that's like when they added a few minutes to one of the Star Wars films and re-released it and you're just like are you kidding me well it's not up there with and this brings me round to the other way they tried to extend this film which is Once Upon a Deadpool doesn't quite come off but that is a brilliant idea the fact that he kidnaps Fred Savage and rates the film to him in the style of the Princess Bride I do like that but this this was preceded by Deadpool No Good Deed which is a four minute sketch essentially where Deadpool takes so long changing into his costume that he isn't able to foil a mugging and it has a brilliant Stan Lee cameo where he appears and Deadpool just said zip it Stan Lee that went out with Logan and it's just a lovely counterpoint to have that bit of silliness before this incredibly dark incredibly bleak and grim film yes that's true by the way I was just checking my notes and yeah Laura is officially X-23 in the film the other thing I thought was interesting a good double feature to do this film like a slightly offbeat double feature that you could do for this film would be to put it with Birdman because Hugh Jackman said that he was partially inspired to do Logan by Michael Keaton's performance in Birdman I think that's quite interesting the notion of like you know a guy who became quite associated with a superhero character doing another film that's about someone who is associated with being a superhero character and so that notion that Hugh Jackman sort of thinking of Logan as this way to honour this character in a better way than it had been treated in some of the other films actually I don't think the Wolverine's well treated in Days of Future Past either which is a mess of a film there's a few other characters that aren't well treated across those films I'm thinking about the way they've wasted Jennifer Lawrence in the X-Men films as well so that's interesting that would make a good double bill but for me it's a film that you can come back to as well there are a few films across the non-MCU and MCU that I can come back to a lot I can come back to Thor Ragnarok because I feel like it is this like pure delicious candy that I'm just every time it gives me what I want and with this it has deep wells of darkness and sadness there's just a lot in there and there are moments of acting skill in there which mean the knowledge of the plot knowing exactly what happens doesn't take away from the emotional heft of the film you know and there are a few others I mean the Guardians films bear rewatching, but this film as I said earlier on in this I think is the most film like of any Marvel property in the sense that it doesn't require it doesn't exist as a part of a whether they intend it to or not it doesn't exist as part of a serialised effort and it doesn't really require you to have existing knowledge of the characters to appreciate it okay well there's only one thing left for me to ask now Richard E. Grant who was Dr. Xander Rice in this was also classic Loki in Loki so Mick who was best of the two classic Loki is amazing (laughs) like it's not even a question that is it the sort of sagging gusset costume that he wears in it and that he gets to you know end in that series in an an incredible way but Richard E. Grant I think is one of those actors who I've never seen a performance by him that I haven't thought that was a good performance he's been in some bad films but I think he always gives you something and you can't say fairer than that Mick thank you and Excelsior Excelsior If you've enjoyed this, don't forget you can find more editions of It's Good Except It Sucks and plenty more besides, including details of my book Can't Help Thinking About Me at timworthington.org.